0: Good morning, once again, kids. You are just—they're already gone. Kids are dismissed to Grace Place. They don't wait for me anymore. Um, good morning, once again. Thank you for being here. If you, uh, you want to grab those Bibles uh, I was talking about earlier and go to Exodus three, Exodus three is where you're looking um, to be. And uh, so, if you need help getting to Exodus, it's going to be right in the beginning. Go flip the first couple of pages, Genesis, get past Genesis, you go into Exodus, and then Exodus 3 is where we're going to be in for the majority of our time this morning. Uh, As you're turning there, I'd like to thank um, our hospitality team. Our hospitality team uh, seeks to make sure that anyone who walks into our church leaves feeling uh, known, leaves feeling like family um, that is their goal. That is their mission. And so it goes beyond just making sure the place looks clean and smells good. Um, but it's, it's greeting. It's saying hello. It's making people feel welcome. It's answering questions. It's just generally um, caring for people in that moment, right? Hospitality is the care for strangers. And Jesus was... was amazing at this. And we see Jesus um, be hospitable, even though, you know, he's broken, homeless. He's the most hospitable person who ever lived because he was just present with people. He was present in their midst. And that's what our hospitality team seeks to do. And uh, I'd just like to thank everyone who serves on that ministry. Um, and if you are interested in jumping in on the hospitality team, you can use those connect cards I talked about. Circle Hospitality, drop it in the offering plate, and we will get you connected uh, and plugged in so you can uh, serve and be part of that ministry. So um, thank you again for everyone on the hospitality team. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing with the series we started a few weeks ago, looking at the names of God, right? This year, as a whole, as we are celebrating our 90th anniversary as a church, we're talking about what does it look like to take one step, right? We want to celebrate this the fact that we got here, we got to 90 years by um, generations of people being very intentional to take steps in proclaiming the gospel and growing in their Christ-likeness, and that's what we want to do this year, is we want to take at least one step, not just one, we don't want to be... You know, just one. We want to take more steps, but let's start with one. What does it look like to take one step in growing and becoming like Christ? Uh, and proclaiming Christ. And we said, well, to do that, to really be able to uh, grow in knowing him and grow in proclaiming him, we got to know who he is. And the Bible, God introduces himself to us over and over again um, through a different series of names that he gives, that he uses. And so we're spending some time looking at the names of God. We looked at um, El Shaddai, the God Almighty, and then we looked at Elohim, uh, the Creator God, um, because names are important, right? In the Bible, names had a meaning, Sometimes uh, when someone was given a name, it was a prophecy over what their life was going to be like, what that person would be like. And then oftentimes we see in the Bible, we see God change someone's name, right? We saw a couple weeks ago, Abram went from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Um, We see Jacob go to Israel, become Israel. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus calls Simon and he says, your name is Peter, you are the rock. Um, And so we see names carry a specific meaning about what God has already done in them or what God is going to do in and through and with them. And even for us, we don't have necessarily hold the same level of meaning in names today, but our names do have meaning. Even in the way we introduce ourselves and the names we use shows uh, different levels of relationship, right? We have our formal name, and then we have our relational name, and then you have nicknames often that kind of show with certain people a different level of intimacy, right? So uh, my full name is Timothy John Joya. okay? Now, I've known a bunch of you for a bunch of years, and some of you, that's the first time you've ever known my middle name. Why? Because I'm always just Tim, right? The only people who call me Timothy is, like, the government and my grandma. Um, And that's not, like, a not-relational thing. That's just grandma gets to choose the name she calls you, and I'm Timothy, and that's the end of that discussion. Um, But if somebody, if I get a, a phone call or I get an email and it starts with, hello, we're looking for Timothy, I know that person probably doesn't know me personally. Because I don't give that name, I don't introduce myself in that way. Um, As far as nicknames go, I tried TJ a couple of times when I was younger and it just never stuck. So I just was out of luck there. Um, But in general, I'm Tim. That's the relational name that I use. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the relational name of God. God goes by many names, and, and as, before we jump in, I want to say this, and I think I'm going to repeat this a lot as we go through this series, because I want you guys to be holding on to this as we look at these different names, that God goes by a lot of different names, but that doesn't mean that we are talking about multiple gods. He is all of these attributes. As we look at the different names of God and the attributes and characteristics they reveal, he is all of these things at once. Right? Sometimes we engage with one aspect part of God's character more than another at different times, but he is always all of these characteristics, and he is never not any of them. Right? He never sets aside his love so he can focus on his mercy. Those things are always there all of the time. He is always all of these things. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about this morning, is the fact that God is always never changing. The Bible word, the theology word, is immutable. He is never changing. So uh, that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray, and then we can jump into Exodus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, for this chance to worship you, to celebrate you, to be in your presence. God, you are our strength. You are our stronghold. You are our refuge in the day of trouble. You're the one we run to because we know you are all powerful and all good all the time. We come to you seeking rest and hope and guidance and safety and truth. Lord, we come here this morning to engage with you, to hear from you, to encounter you. And you promise us in the Bible that if we do that, if we come looking for you, you're going to reveal yourself. And so, Lord, as we study your word, as we open your word, I pray that you reveal yourself to us this morning, that you encourage us, you challenge us, you rebuke us where needed. You do the work in us this morning that you've designated for today to be done. Lord, we are in this passage. We are looking at this name, Yahweh, for a reason. Um, that reason is yours. And, and so, Lord, I pray that we would focus and be diligent to listen to your word. God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to go to Exodus 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, We'll read a a section, and then we'll go back and and talk about it. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, of land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So before we get into this name of God, um, I want to talk a little bit about what, what it means, and then we'll talk about why it's important for us. Um, but here Moses is out tending sheep. He's doing that because Moses, um, very briefly, the story of Moses was born. Uh, is a Jew of Jewish descent. He's an Israelite. Gets raised in Pharaoh's house um, and then grows up in the palace. grows up in Pharaoh's house. Uh, ends up um, attacking and killing an Egyptian who is beating uh, an Israelite, and because of that, he is outcasted by everyone. The Israelites don't consider him a true Israelite because he's grown up and he's basically Egyptian um, through adoption. And the Egyptians now cast him out because he just killed an Egyptian. And so now Moses is hated by everyone. His entire bloodline, everyone that he, everything he knows, uh, rejects him. And so he runs away. And he goes and he becomes a, a shepherd. He gets married he's out tending flock uh, for his father-in-law when this happens, when he sees this burning bush. And he sees the burning bush and he says he turns aside to see this bush that was burning but was not being consumed by the flames. I think it's really interesting and we have a lot to, I mean it's a whole I think sermon unto itself that Moses sees what God is doing and he stops and he responds. Right? God's always working. God's always calling to us. Do we always take the time to stop and see what God is doing? Do we take the time to stop and see what it is that is this thing that is different and set apart because we get so caught up in the busyness and business of life that we don't take time to stop and say, hey, that's different. I want to see what God's doing here. Um, But Moses does. And so God tells Moses he's going to send him to pull um, God's people from Egypt, that he's going to lead God's people out. And Moses says, well, who am I? Not only is who am I to go stand before the most powerful man in the land, Pharaoh, but even the Israelites who have rejected me, what am I supposed to say to them? And so then we see in verse 14 and 15 what God tells him. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God here reveals his personal relational name. He says, I am what I am. It can also be translated, I will be what I will be. And that would be kind of confusing for Moses, right? If Moses went before the Israelites and they said, okay, well, who sent you? And he said, I am who I am has sent me. That doesn't make any sense. So then God tells him, tell them I am has sent you. We'll get into what that means in a little bit. Um, but as we do this, we're going to look at, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a Hebrew grammar lesson um, very briefly. Okay, so these four letters, it's really three letters, one of them's repeated. This is Yahweh. This is the name of God that God reveals himself to, uh, to Moses. And so um, with Hebrew, you read right to left, not left to right. And so the letters that make it up are uh, the Yod, the He, It's spelled W-A-W, but it's actually Vav, uh, V-A-V, and then Hey. That is the name of God that he shows to Moses here. Yahweh. It is the personal name of God. These four letters, um, theologians like to make up fancy words to talk about very simple things. This is called the Tetragrammaton, which literally just means four letters. That's what that's called. This is the personal covenant name of God. It appears over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It is the most used name for God in all of the Bible. Yahweh. Now, if you were to flip over to Exodus 20, you don't have to. um, But in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. So, uh, spoiler alert, Moses goes to Pharaoh, eventually does lead God's people out of Egypt. Um, They get across the the Red Sea. It's a whole thing. Uh, And they get to Mount Sinai. And here, God's people are established as a people. And God gives them the law, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 20, it says, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now we hear that in 21st century America, we hear that verse. And what we tend to want to do when we are given a direct command is ask questions like, Okay, well, what name of the Lord can I not take in vain? And what do you mean by vain? And how vain can I be before I cross that line? Right? We want to know, what, what am I allowed to do? Not just don't do it. It's, okay, but how far can I go? How far can I push this? Whereas the Israelites, when they were given this command by God, he says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They took that command and decided, we don't want to go anywhere near whatever God means by vain. So we're just not even going to say the name of God. Even when it's in the Bible, we're just not going to say it out loud. We're going to just completely stay away from it. Even when we're reading on our own, and we're just silently mouthing the words to ourselves, we're not going to say the name of God. This name Yahweh is so set apart, we're not going to let it touch our lips. And so instead, when the name Yahweh was written in the Bible, when it would come up and they were studying the Bible, when they were studying the Torah, whoever was reading it would not say Yahweh, they would say Adon or Adonai, which is Lord. And so every time they saw the name Yahweh, instead of saying Yahweh, they said Lord. This tradition carries on as the Bible is being copied and copied and translated. And when it gets translated into English, um, there's places like, so in your Bibles, uh, in Exodus 3.15, uh, when it says, God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, um, you might see throughout the Bible, The Lord, when it's capitalized like that, when all the whole word is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh. It's not just a capital, if it's just a capital L, that's Lord like Master. But if you ever see the word Lord all in caps in the Bible, that is Yahweh. Now it's not the best, everyone kind of agrees that that Lord as far as Master is not the best translation of Yahweh, and we'll talk about that um, in a little bit, but it's kind of tradition, so we all just kind of go with it. Um, but every time you see LORD in all caps, it's Yahweh. And so to help with this practice of not saying the name Yahweh, but instead saying Adonai, what would happen is that scribes, as they copied the Bible, they added in vowel markers that go with the vowels to the word Adonai. But the thing is that they don't really make sense in the way that they're used in Hebrew grammar. We don't have to get into all of that. i got got a C in Hebrew grammar. Um, it makes sense. They are there. They are placed because they aren't meant to be read. It's really just a visual indicator to the Jewish reader. So someone who is fluent in Hebrew would be reading and see this word and see the vowel markers that are there and say, that doesn't make sense. And it was supposed to be a reminder to say, yeah, it doesn't make sense because you're not supposed to pronounce it. You're not supposed to say that word. Instead, you're supposed to say Adonai. Don't say this word, say Adonai instead. And so the vowels from Adonai got put on this word Yahweh. And so they took the, if you take the consonant letters of Yahweh, and you take the vowels of Adonai, it makes up this hybrid word that would be, if it were to be pronounced, which it's not supposed to be because it's not a real word, would sound something like Yahuwah. And over time, as you have people translating the Bible, you have people, scribes, copying the Bible, this idea, and they got farther away from this idea that Yahweh was not supposed to be said, And now you have generations and generations, now you have this word with the consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Adonai. And people are not holding to that same, hey, that's not a real word, don't say it. And so over time, what happened is this made up word, Yahuwah, became what we know as Jehovah. That's how Jehovah happened. That's how that name happened. When you see Jehovah, when you hear the name Jehovah, it's Yahweh. It's a couple of steps removed, but it's Yahweh. And so whether it's Yahweh in its original intent, or it's Lord in all caps, or it's Jehovah, what we are talking about here is the personal covenant relational name of the almighty creator and sustainer of all existence. This is God revealing himself in a personal way. Why? It's for our benefit. Through every name that God uses for himself in the Bible, he is revealing his character to us. He is helping us in our limited, finite, temporary understanding to see just a glimpse of a sliver of a speck of all that he is because he does it that way because that's all our brains can handle. He gives us just a tiny glimpse of who he is because he is so great and so awesome and so beyond us that we can't comprehend all that he is. Now, God could have stayed with Elohim. We looked at that word last week, right? Elohim, the creator God, the creative creator God who is massive and restores and redeems and is outside of all that we know of existence. He could have gone and stayed with that name because that name suits him. That name is perfect and appropriate way to explain who God is. But because of who God is, he wanted to give us more. Because there is always more of him to be known, he wanted to give that to us and he gives us the name Yahweh. Flip over, I want you to go to Exodus 6. You can keep your finger at Exodus 3. Well, just go to Exodus 6. Um, In verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And then verse 4, it says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Here, Yahweh tells Moses, he says, look, Abraham, who I first called, who I established this covenant with, his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, these pillars of the faith that we hold up, he says, they knew me as Elohim. They knew the massive creator God of all existence. But they didn't know Yahweh. Yahweh. They knew the one who made the promises. They knew the covenant being laid out, but they didn't actually get to experience God fulfilling those promises, fulfilling that covenant. That would happen over a course of generations. But what God says to Moses is that every one of them trusted the promises God made. Though they didn't get to see it, they believed and they trusted God, even in the parts of God that they didn't get to experience firsthand. They didn't get to experience this relational covenant idea that Yahweh brings. They got to know Elohim, who is kind of set apart, who is massive and almighty, and right? We talked about Elohim. And so they saw God as this set-apart one. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they didn't get to know God as Yahweh, and yet they believed, and yet their faith was strengthened. And God is saying to Moses, they didn't know me as Yahweh, the personal, relational God, and yet they believed. How much more should you believe because you know me on this level? Fast forward to now, Christians, we are on this side of the cross. We get to look back on it. And so how much more of the evidence of Yahweh's provision and protection and grace, the glory and the mercy that we see in the cross, how much more should we believe? How much more should our faith be strengthened, knowing as much as God has revealed to us? This step by God to make himself known in a personal way, this is... God is Yahweh, and it's an important reality, and it's important for us. And that's what I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning talking about, why it's important that God is Yahweh, that God is this relational covenant-keeping God, why it matters that he would reveal himself in a more intimate, personal way. The first way it's important is because it's important because it makes God knowable, because God is knowable. Yahweh gives us his personal, relational name because he is the God of community. He within himself, within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has eternally been in perfect relational unity within himself. He has always been the God of community. And he is the God who wants us to know him. He already knows us, right? We talked a few weeks ago about God's omniscience. He is all-knowing. He, wants, he already knows all of us, but he wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He is not a... Di- being or some spiritual force but a God who is knowable and the great thing about that knowability yep I made it up is that there is always more of him to be known he wants to be invested and engaged in our lives and there is always more of him to be known because he is so massive and awesome there is always more to know of him more to experience of him he is the God who wants a relationship he is the God who is knowable in Genesis 3, um, so Genesis is written by Moses. After he has this interaction with God and they're on the mountain, he goes face. Through, he gets to spend a lot of personal time one-on-one time with Yahweh. God, Moses writes Genesis. Now, he wasn't there. But Moses writing under the direction of God, when he's writing Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, in Genesis 3, 8, after sin has happened, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, Where are you? Each of those three times God is mentioned in verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 3, we see Lord is all capitalized, which we already talked about, is Yahweh. Moses is looking back. Moses, writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit, looks back to when sin enters the world, and he says, He's referred to as Yahweh, God is referred to as Yahweh Elohim. The massive awesome creator combined with the personal God. Sin has entered the world, relationships have been broken, everything will be affected by it. The perfect unity and existence that once was has been cracked. Death and rebellion have entered into the world. God goes looking for his creation. Yahweh goes looking for his creation. The relational God goes looking for his creation that has just sinned. And for the very first time in all of existence, they have to deal with guilt and shame and fear. All the stuff they never even had an idea of now is flooding into them. And so Yahweh shows up. Yahweh shows up and yes, there are consequences. There are always going to be consequences to sin. But amidst those consequences, Yahweh gives a message of hope. A message of the Messiah, one to reign and rule and defeat sin. Yahweh shows up, the relational God shows up proclaiming the message that there is a plan to restore this relationship that has been broken by sin. A plan to restore the relationship between man and God. God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us in our place. That's Yahweh showing up and saying this relationship is important to me. I'm going to send you one who's going to restore it. Yahweh is knowable. He is the God of relationship who wants to be known. And he has given us a way to in his word. Studying it, being invested in it, and connected to it is a great way to get to know him. It's why we have it. It's why it exists. The Bible exists so that we have a way to know even just a taste of who God is. It's him revealing himself to us so we can know him. So are you in the word? Are you getting to know him? Because the fact that he is knowable means there is always more to know. There is not a pinnacle point you will reach where you say, you know what, I know all that there is to know about God. I have hit the mountaintop. There's nothing more to be known. There's always more. Always more to be known. Always more to be challenged by. And for us, there's always more for us to cherish of who God is. For those of you who are married, What if you just one day decided you were done pursuing your spouse? You were done trying to get to know them, done cherishing them. In doing that, you're declaring a lack of interest. In doing that, you were declaring a lack of love. And your actions would cause that relationship to falter and break. So why do we treat God the same way? We get to know more and more of him. He's got more and more of himself to reveal to us. Yahweh is the knowable God who is all about relationships and wants to have one with us. He reveals himself to us for that purpose. Second way it's important that God reveals himself as Yahweh is that it shows that he is reliable. He is never changing. As I said, we give you a little bit of We're going through and looking and learning some Hebrew words. We're also looking at some kind of church theology words. So we've looked at um, God's omnipotence, God's omnipresence. And so this morning we talk about God is never changing. He is immutable. He is reliable. He is consistent. He is never changing. We can go to him and not worry about what kind of mood he is in. We can go to him and say, is there going to be love when I go to God? Is there going to be grace? Is there going to be mercy? Those things we know are always going to be there. You ever get a taste for something and you're like, man, I want that food, and you go into the fridge or you go into the pantry and it's just not there? Or even worse, like the box of fruit snacks is there, but the box is empty, and it's just this real bummer and disappointment. We're never going to be disappointed when we go to God. You're never going to be let down by God. The love and the grace and the mercy and goodness and kindness and gentleness, all of the attributes, all of the characteristics, all that God is will always be there. Even in the midst of discipline or rebuking or challenging, those things are still there because God is never changing. He is always reliable. Just because we look at these different names, as I said earlier, he is never not any of these things. He is always El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. He is always Elohim, the Creator. He is always Yahweh, the relational God. For us, we see or experience one or more of these things, right? We might experience part of him in a different way in certain situations. God revealing himself to us, but he is never not any of these things. And this goes back to the knowability of God. That combined with his reliability, these things work in tandem. Because he's accessible and he's never changing. We can know him and we can grow in our knowledge of him. We can experience God's love. We experience it most when we are first saved, right? When we first understand what Christ did for us at the cross. When we first understand and put our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we experience God's love. We know it, we experience it, we taste and see it is good. And then years down the road, we might experience God's love in a whole brand new way as we find community. Or we experience God's love through relationships or through different circumstances. And it's still God's love, but now it's because we are a little bit different. A little bit different. God is never changing. But we encounter more or deeper or different ways where God reveals his love to us. There is always more to be known of him. In different seasons or circumstances, we understand God's love, God's attributes in different ways. But he is reliable. He is always to be counted on. Always to be trusted. We can always trust him and we don't have to worry about where we stand with him if we stand in Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are a daughter or son of God, you stand in the righteousness of Jesus. How God the Father sees his son is how he sees us. What is Christ's is ours. That reality, our standing with God based on our faith in Christ, is huge. Because when you sin, not if, when, you have two choices. You can run to God or you can run away from God. Adam and Eve sin and they go hiding. The person caught up in their immaturity think that they will be Punished, think that they're gonna something bad's gonna happen, so I'm just gonna keep sinning and I'm gonna hide from God, I'm gonna run away from Him because I don't want to be punished, I don't want to be smited by the big Almighty God. But the mature Christian understands Yahweh doesn't change, He is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. I can always go to Him, He is always going to be merciful, always forgiving, always just, always loving. I can trust Him, you can trust God even in your sin. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, that doesn't mean there's not consequences. But it means our relationship with God is kept intact. Forgiveness is to be found in the cross of Christ. Grace and hope and mercy because Yahweh is reliable. We know, we can go to him and know that we will experience those things of him because he has shown time and time again who he is and he does not change. He is reliable. The third way why it's important that God reveals himself as Yahweh is that God is dependable. You might hear that and say, you just said reliable. You're just running out of words now. What I mean by dependable is that Yahweh is exactly what we need exactly when we need him. And we're going to see that play out. It's a little teaser for the rest of this series as we look at these names of God. Because we're going to study these other names of God and we're going to see characteristics and see when God shows up in these different ways. When he shows up as Jehovah-Raha, the shepherd, or Jehovah-Rapha, the healer, or these different ways where God shows up. He's revealing himself in specific ways in these different parts of us that we need exactly in that moment. Exactly in that moment we need God to be the God who sees or the God who shepherds or the God who heals or comforts. These different titles. Because he is dependable. He is dependable in that he knows what you need. He knows what you need before you need it. And before you ask for something, he knows what you actually need. He is what you need when you need it. And because he's the knowable God, because he's the reliable God, he is also the dependable God, never missing the mark, never letting us down, always at work for his glory and our good. Even when we don't know what that means or what that looks like, that's always his goal. When we are the lost sheep, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who goes looking for us. When we are the wayward prodigal sons and daughters, he is the dad sprinting to welcome us home. When we're the other brother in that story, full of ego and pride, complaining, he is the dad who is strong to rebuke and put us in our place and check our pride and ego. When we are the scared armies of God hiding from Goliath in the tents, he is the one to step out and slay the giant. He is the father to the fatherless. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is the comfort to the weary. When you are tired and beaten and exhausted and ready to give up, he is our rest. He is our comfort. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Yahweh is dependable. He is who we need him to be exactly when we need him. And we see it play out in Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What we needed was not a political leader or a military leader. We didn't need a spiritual guru telling us everything's fine, you're fine, everything's good. And we didn't need a spiritual guru on the flip side saying do harder, do better, try harder, move faster. You're not good enough, you got to work harder. We didn't need a weak pushover who never condemns sin. We needed a savior. We needed a savior. What we needed was God to step in and say, I got this. Put your faith in me, put your trust in me, and I will go to the cross and die for you. There will be forgiveness. There will be hope. There will be new life for you if you trust me. If you put your faith in Jesus and him alone, then you will have new life here, now, and forever. He is dependable. He is exactly who we need him to be, exactly when we need him to be it. Moses, in front of that bush, asked for a name. He said, who do I tell them has sent me? He asked for a name, not knowing what he was getting. And what he got was a personal invitation to know God on a level that hadn't happened before. Yahweh reveals himself to be the knowable, reliable, dependable God. And as we have said, God is still Yahweh. He is always the same. He is still knowable, reliable, and dependable. For Moses, the name Yahweh took what he knew about Elohim, took what he knew about this great, massive creator God, and it made him personal. For us, the name Jesus takes what we know of Yahweh and makes it personal. Yahweh has always been. He currently is and he will always be. He has no beginning and no end. There is no change in his character. There is no distance. He is not a distant, unknowable force. He is who he is, the relational God who is calling you into relationship with him through his Son Jesus. Will you turn aside as you walk by that burning bush? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for another opportunity to celebrate you, to worship you. God, we thank you for this name, Yahweh, this relational, intimate way to know you, to call upon you. The never-changing character, that immutable characteristic of yourself that you reveal to us. Lord, let that comfort us. Seek to know you better. And as we do that, and as we run to you, and even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion, let us remember that you don't change. That you are the God of relationships. You are the God who wants to have a relationship with us, and you are the God who knows us and wants us to know you. God, that we might come to know you in a deep and true and different way, and that we never get tired, we never get bored because we can always be motivated by the fact that there is always more of you to be known. Lord, let us never be satisfied with how much we know of you. Let us always want to know you more. Let us always hunger and thirst to know you deeper, to cherish and rejoice and be in your presence. God, as we go into the world, help us, remind us, encourage us of who you are, And why it matters that you are this personal God. That it matters because you are personally, intimately involved in this world. That you are with us always. Let that reality spark us on to be the lights of the world you have called us to be. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.